This is the Video Junkyard Podcast. A place that appeals to your deepest and darkest fantasies. The dead whose haunted souls hunt the living. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. From this nightmare world emerges a fearsome half-man, half-ape with the strength of 20 demons. Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Video Junkyard Podcast. I'm Eric Branson, and with me, as always, is Joe Peterson. How's it going, Joe? It's going pretty good. It's going pretty good. Still trying to get back into the swing of things, but uh, happy to be back, happy to be recording stuff again, watching lots of movies. So, things are going pretty good. How about yourself? Good, real good. I'm Kind of the same thing. I've been, um, ever since we got back from our, our travels a couple weeks ago, we, uh, I, um have really just been hunkered down doing my homework for the podcast. So I think we mentioned a few weeks ago that we've scheduled out everything until, well, well into November at this point. So um, just kind of uh, doing my homework. And when I get started a little earlier, the cool thing is I get to spend a little more time, you know, checking out bonus features on DVDs and et cetera, learning a little more about the, you know, about the movies, not just, you know, watching yeah. them and then showing up you know <laughs> right. I, I literally like once for this podcast finished a film about 45 minutes before we started recording it so yeah I've, usually I've, i don't cut it that close but it yeah, has happened so. i've done that too a few times just you know trying to get things you know my my kids pretty much have control of the tv in for like a few hours after school and stuff like that and so if, yeah. if i want to watch something i have to wait till they go to bed and sometimes i do fall asleep not because the movie's boring but because i'm not 20 anymore and um yeah and yeah. so you know and, and I, I guess actually find I, that happening to me in the middle like uh my worst time of day for tired always has been even when i was working or in school or whatever is like just post lunch like you get that like drag at like two o'clock in the afternoon and that's yeah. like when my kids are taking their nap so it's like the longest stretch of time i get to you know be a grown-up um, well and it's like they always tell you too to bed you know, night, but... since you have you know you're you're there with the kids all day too it's you know one of those annoying things that they always tell people is like oh you just have to learn to you know nap when they nap and it's like well then nothing gets mm-hmm. done so <laughs> yeah so then we wouldn't have any laundry done the dishes would be piled up i would never get to sit down and watch something that i wanted to watch no in <laughs> or, fact i you know, i've considered have a podcast yeah know, i've like... considered you know maybe Maybe I'll just start recommending movies that I am watching a lot at home. So things like the Emoji Movie and Princess and the Frog for the millionth time and stuff like that. You know, kids watch that the kind same of movie over and, and over again. That kind of thing is only said by people that don't actually have little kids. So yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's those two have been on on repeat or a have lot forgotten lately. what it's like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember when my daughter was really little. We used to. Uh, She'd go through movies, and I, I I may have mentioned this before, but I thought she was she was going through one of the Shrek movies a lot. It's all she wanted to yeah. watch, and so I thought, you know what, I like this movie. It was I think it was Shrek Two. I was like, this one's actually kind of fun. I was like, why don't I get all of them? And when she just says, I want to watch Shrek, I'll just throw one of them on, and I'll control what movie is getting played to death. So then none of them will really feel worn out. Yeah. She found yeah, a way to make me hate every single... Control. <laughs> yeah, and I, she got me to a point where I can't stand watching any of those movies now. So I actually, yeah. when she when she first discovered Jurassic Park, I was like, Daddy's hiding this, because you're not going to ruin this for me. <laughs> my, my kids are just old enough now that they enjoy things. Like, they have their taste preference, mm-hmm. and, you know, they like certain things, each of them, and, um, and like movies and like TV shows. But they are not old enough to, like, actively be like, that's what I want to watch. I mean, they do react to things so I can tell what they like, but I can still talk them into watching something else if I get sick of it. I know, you know, a year from now, two years from now, I'm going to lose that control, and it's going to be all whatever they want to see, so. Yeah, uh... yeah. I mean, it, it's, I was at a, a conference about a year ago with, with some some other it was a paleontology conference and one of the other guys and i was sitting around with a group of people having a couple of beers and we both have kids about the same age and so we started critiquing disney films like yeah you know that one was actually pretty good yeah i kind of liked i kind of liked tangled you know that had a good plot and all the other 
people around us were like, well, you can tell who has kids here and who doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we two grown men talking about how much they like my, Tangled. <laughs> my wife and I, you know, go on and on and talk about, like, we literally had a 20-minute conversation the other night about why all the new Disney movies are so good all of a sudden. And, like, I don't know. When. So, anyway, i become kind of a... I don't know, a fan, or, like, I, I think more about, you know, family and children's cinema than I used to. Yeah. I've always enjoyed it, honestly. I, I have a soft spot for good family entertainment, but um, I definitely see a lot more of it now than I used to, so there's... Yeah, um, and actually going back and watching some of the movies that I used to watch when I was a little kid that was, you know, was considered kind of, you know, a little bit edgier, you know, I think a good example would be a movie like, you know, Shane Black's Monster Squad. You know, that yeah. was one I watched yep. when I was a little kid, and it was a it was a cool, light-hearted, scary kids movie. And we tried showing it to our daughter, and she was like, "This is kind of messed up." <laughs> so you know, <laughs> I think that was just you know that's kind of a, that was an eighties, early nineties thing. That was the times, man. It was like it it was a little messed up. I think. I mean, when you go back and look at it through modern you know lens we were talking about that when we reviewed little monsters i yeah. mean just the kind of stuff that they did that there's no way we'd be getting away with now oh there's stuff from movies from a few years ago that you wouldn't oh, get yeah, away totally. with now and i'm not trying to you yeah. know do like you know i'm not trying to be the, the guy shaking his fist on his lawn like back in my day i'm just you know pointing out that there's been a lot of social change um mm-hmm. you know in in a very short period of time which i think is excellent and it's it's great but you know, oh, yeah, you, yeah, you, you, it, sure. it's the the impact. I'm not saying this is a bad thing at all, but it's definitely making an impact, which I think is great on pop culture and on films, because you, you watch movies today and the, the jokes that they're saying are not the same jokes that were coming out five years ago. Um, because yeah, I think people are finally like... starting to, to kind of, you know, OK, find a new find a new trope find something else this is this is played out and it's not cool anymore and, and so it's it's been kind of neat to see you know and something I, I brought up to you the other day this is a show i'd like to do sometime is talk about how certain social issues without getting political into the show at all just how social issues do influence genre films because they, they yeah. really do well i mean any even outside of genre films i think um i think where, where i noticed the most changes in comedies like what's acceptable socially acceptable to be funny Mm-hmm. and what's not and that has totally changed yep. i think in the last few years um i remember i mean just thinking back to films of uh, r-rated comedies back uh, when we were growing up like the things that are coming to mind are like from the from the period of like when porky's comes out to the period of the american pie movies these are all not yeah. great pieces of cinema i'm not saying they are but uh just what i mean if you go back now, I mean, even just the, the, the major changes that we've had in the last five years or so, you go back now and watch those movies, there's a lot of cringing going on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, it's, um, I, you kind of think, like, where were we ever living in a time where this was socially acceptable or this was funny? Um, but it didn't, it was, it seemed harmless then. I, I really think it did. I, I'm not going to, like, let people off the hook, but you do have to kind of go back with a grain of salt and kind of look through try to look through the lens of when they were made and well and I, I think that's kind of a good segue for the the movie that we're talking about tonight because you know we're what we're, this conversation we're having really is about films being a reflection of of the time that they were made right so whether it's comedy or whether there's social issues or something in a film it's a reflection usually of a time and, and what was acceptable and then you know what wasn't and how that changes and the movie that we're going to be talking about tonight was I think watching it, I haven't seen this in many years, but I rewatched it again recently, and I don't think anybody could convince me that there's anything in it that dates it. I mean, I was, was actually I very agree. impressed. And, and the movie uh, that we're going to be talking about is the, the 1998 film Dark City. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert.
I actually have a very similar. Like I have, I saw this uh, when it came out around 1998. This this was a new movie when I first got my job at the video store in Pecatonic, mm-hmm. Illinois, which would have been right around. It might have been 99 or whatever, but uh, when it was coming out on video, um, and I really really enjoyed this movie when it came out. I thought it was great. Um, for some reason, it kind of like fell off of my radar, and I never—I don't know if I ever saw it a second time until you know, this week. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is, and this—this this is a little bit, a little bit jarring to me because my memory of it is a little bit vague anyway. But my original experience with the film was with the 1998 theatrical release, and I recently this week saw the 2003 director's cut mm-hmm. of the film. So they, there are some, some very significant differences between those two. Mm-hmm. I didn't enjoy it any less, though. I, did, I still liked it quite a bit. Yeah. Um, to give you a real quick rundown of Dark City. Dark City is a 1998 film directed by Alice, Alex Proyas. And um, brief synopsis is a man struggles with memories of his past, including a wife he cannot remember in a nightmarish world with no son. Um, and that so, I don't even think is an, is I mean that's that's the the description that everybody can see, but I don't even think that adequately I mean that doesn't prepare you to what you're watching. Wow, no, you know, not at all. And you know the, um, the cool thing about this too is how this was one of the first films to come out, and, and there were three right in a row: is this, The Matrix, and the Thirteenth Floor. That yep. all play, and I still to this day I'm not sure if seen if I've seen the Thirteenth Floor. I should check that one out. But. Well, and then I guess the Cronenberg film Existence came out about the same time as well, and it had some similar yeah, themes to that it. That had some similarities. It was a li- way out there in you know Cronenberg yeah. world, but yeah, but yeah, it uh, definitely had some. There was a lot. I mean, if you really, really went back and dug around, there was even more than that. These were like the big. You know the big three yeah. that came out, uh, all from major studios and um, prominent filmmakers. But yeah, there were those like three movies that very much had a. Maybe it's something we were right around the turn of the century. We were worried about. I think there was a lot of stress about the upcoming. And needlessly, maybe, but there's a lot of stress about the, uh, you know, the upcoming change. Oh, of, the Y two uh, K and all that. Century. Yeah, and I think it led us to enjoy stories like this where um and it, essentially they're all they're all stories science fiction stories that are about questioning the nature of reality um i would say dark city's deeper than that it is i would say the matrix only really does that and 13th floor i'm not as familiar with so i won't comment on but um i think this goes a little deeper into actually questioning you know what it is that makes somebody human that's digging in really deep for the first part of this conversation, so we should back the truck up a little bit here and yeah, <laughs> um, jump back into. But okay, so that synopsis you're right is not a really strong, um, doesn't give you a strong vision of what the film is all about. So Rufus Sewell plays John Murdoch in this movie, and he wakes up in a. Um, having no memory basically an amnesia situation so Mm -hmm. he has to kind of quickly try to piece together you know who he is what his life's all about and what he's doing in this situation so i always like movies like this it's something that gets the the hooks in me right away is like present me with an instant mystery and then um dark city does a great job of it because it's it's very fast-paced like you have Within the first two minutes of this film, this guy's waking up, has no idea where he is, gets a cryptic phone call from somebody on the phone saying, your memory's been tampered with, you know, they're after you kind of thing, and then all of a sudden there's these creepy tall, um, you know... Uh, the strangers. They're not all tall. One of them's tall. Yeah, the strangers, who are basically trench-coated, pale, basically just creepy-looking... Um, I don't know figures. I, I don't know yeah. why you, you make up very, them in your initial very impression. Very Nosferatu like. I mean, and there's yes, a reason for that. Especially the I don't remember the actor's name, but the guy that plays the tall one. He's the one I'm picturing. I called them tall. They're not all tall, but um, 
the and the lead one of the, the the strangers is brilliantly played by Richard O'Brien, which is awesome. I forgot that Richard O'Brien was in this movie. It's like the other great thing he's done besides riffraff and, and right. making writing and making Rocky Horror Picture Show. But um, yeah, he's I don't know how it fell out of my memory, and maybe I saw this before my Rocky Horror obsession started or whatever. But um, I forgot that this was Richard O'Brien. I mean, I remembered this character in this movie, but he is fantastic. I can't believe he doesn't, he didn't get more work um, playing characters like this, like villain characters, but. Well, actually a lot of the, the strangers, right? These, these gaunt characters, the, the main, you know, kind of uh, the, the villains of, of the movie. Um, you know, yeah, you mentioned Richard O'Brien plays, plays one of them. Um, but you also have, have Ian Richardson, who's a well-known Scottish actor, and Bruce Spence, which, you know, he's under mm-hmm. a lot of makeup. But, yeah, Bruce Spence is a, a pretty well-known New Zealand um, uh, actor. He's done a lot of uh, Australian films like Stork. And, you know, he's kind of a, a well-known face from, from this period of, of time uh, back in the, the late 70s, early 80s, where Australian films were all the rage. So he was in the... He was in, um, uh, Bruce Spence. That, that's the person I was trying to think of. That's okay. The, yeah, Mr. Wall. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. He was. Uh, he was in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. He was the gyro captain in Mad Max Two. He was. Um, uh, let's see. He was in Stork. I know he was. He also does some some voice acting and stuff as well. But uh, yeah. So he's. That was just kind of cool. So there's there's some Jennifer Connelly's in this as well. You know, there's there's quite a cast. But this, yeah, William Hurt, Keeper Sutherland. Yeah. And, Jennifer Connelly, Richard, yeah, it's 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 really got a great cast, and but it's uh, such a it, it, one of the critiques I read about it um, when it came out was that the story's a little sprawling. It's a little hard hard to cover, which is funny that you know the last movie we we <laughs> reviewed was was quite sprawling as well. But in in this case, um, it's so atmospheric, though. I mean, yes. this I mean, talk this about world just, building. Just, this just sucks you right into this very bizarre and it's not pleasant it's just so no it's beautifully set that you just it's dark it's gloomy it's damp but you keep looking at it and you can tell it you know i, I see where there have been some complaints about similarities with the matrix it, you know the everybody's wearing black trench coats and everything's always dark but and you know there's the basic theme that's the same too but i think that theme kind of begs for it because you mentioned you know uh you hadn't seen it but the 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 13th floor also has the same kind of film noir feel that this does and that the matrix has to a lesser extent yes that's something i was going to point out is that all three of those films for some reason being being science fiction films but adapted kind of the color scheme or the um aesthetic of film noir and, and this very deliberately because it kind of plays into the the plot of there being, you know, a city with no sun because of the alien creatures that are controlling it are actually intolerant to sun, so it's always nighttime. So obviously that's a very noir concept because it's always going to be dark. But but Alex Proyas uh, does, uh, I mean he he keeps that aesthetic. Like he lights the film very noir, and um, the atmosphere of the film is is claustrophobic. I mean it, it's it's like being trapped in the city and when you notice the characters start to have or the characters start to notice that their memories uh, if something is wrong with their memories like they can't remember how to get to you know the the big one is the uh, shell beach yeah um throughout the whole movie but everybody's heard of it but cannot quite remember how to get there or how to get basically how to exit the city nobody's um, well, really sure of nobody, anything. Nobody so, notices that it's always dark. They always just kind right. of take that for granted. And it's... Um, yeah. It's because in the narrative of the of the movie, just for anyone who hasn't seen it, um, the city is all a construct of an alien species who are is doing an experiment on um, human beings to kind of find out they're a species that, that exists with a hive mind mm-hmm. and they are obsessed with the concept of human individuality and they are doing an experiment to try and figure out what exactly it is that makes humans individuals like what is the soul that people are referring to and um very high concept yeah i, I think i i first saw this it was playing at the movie theater that i worked at in high school and so Unfortunately, a lot of the movies that came out at that time, I, I never really saw 
uh, in a chronological order. I would, I would see them in parts and pieces. And then finally I'd get a chance and just sit through the whole thing. Uh, but, you know, like going in to check on temperature in the movie theater or something like that or clean something up while the movie was playing and then I'd, I'd see parts of it, you know. But right. it wasn't uh, it wasn't something that, that I really sat down and watched all the way through until, you know, a little bit later in its run. Um, and and I, rem- I remember really liking it. It was a little creepier and darker than The Matrix, which, of course, stole all of its thunder. Um yeah. And I'm not downing The Matrix. I actually think that's a really fun movie. It's a, it's a really good movie. There's a reason why yeah, it's I, so well known. The I sequels, don't want to shit talk The Matrix either. Uh, I like The Matrix a lot. I, I think this is a nice companion piece to it that kind yeah. of says something about the era because they're just so, such similar films. I think design-wise and concept-wise, Dark City is a stronger film. I do too. Yeah, and I think um, The Matrix actually hurt itself fight sequels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and The Matrix is a little bit more... Um, it's it's fight choreography and some of its trick photography and and that kind of stuff is really awesome about the matrix or, or at least was when it came out like it was kind of stunning and mind-blowing um i don't feel like its concept is quite as airtight or as um as interesting as dark cities although they're similar mm-hmm. i think dark city kind of um it's about a little more than what the matrix is the matrix is more um this kind of hypothetical like the machines took over and you don't get a whole lot of like I know they've written books like The Matrix and Philosophy, but I don't feel like The Matrix has a lot of philosophy built into its narrative. It's an action-adventure, science-fiction action-adventure movie with a lot of great fight scenes, and it's a lot of fun, and I like it. Yeah. I don't want to say anything bad about it, but Dark City, I think, has a little bit more going on. I think you Um, could do a better philosophy of book on Dark City than you could The Matrix. mm -hmm. Um, I think so, too. This is one of the things that I I really found refreshing about rewatching this again was how god it's hard to find movies nowadays that are science fiction films that are just science fiction stories they're not part of a franchise they're not trying to be a franchise they're telling one story and it's not it's not the same campy science fiction thing over and over and over again this is this is a a great example of like how to do good sci-fi um but yeah this this is one that Gosh, you know, it's it's like I said, it's kind of disappointing that you know when you talk about oh, you know, so here's a film that takes place, or here's a film that was made in the late '90s, and it's very dark, and it's about you know like questioning reality, and everybody's like, oh, it's The Matrix. No, damn it, it's Dark City. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say this came out before The Matrix. It did, and and I don't know <laughs> if I really buy that that it was a ripoff because I mean they came out within a year of each other, which means both of them yeah, were in pre-production I, far earlier right. than that. The um, Matrix would have already been in pre-production when this was coming out. It's not like nobody has ever come up with this concept before. I mean, we were talking earlier about the people have drawn um, connections to the allegory of the cave. So I mean, we're talking ancient Greece here. So yeah, these are concepts that the human imagination has definitely. Um, you know, visited and revisited over thousands of years. It's not like somebody randomly like came up with this and like owns this idea. Um, it's the idea of like, I mean, it's something that human beings have thought about forever. Like what is reality? How, how do we know we're real? Um, right. Big philosophical questions. And it's just a science fiction story that kind of explores, uh, explores that with its main characters and um, gives you one version of uh, a reality that is not quote unquote real. Why do you think that, I mean, we touched on it a little bit, just like maybe anxiety or something, but for films of this nature, this this style of science fiction, you know, The Matrix definitely took it in more of an action sense, which I think is why it has a much larger fan base. Um, I think you got action fans with The Matrix that then you could teach a little bit of philosophy to. And in this case, it's more of, this is some great classic style, like this is one of the, in my opinion, one of the great science fiction movies of the 90s. Um, just like straight up science fiction, not trying to be a, a series. But what is it about the late '90s where we have these existence, Thirteenth Floor, Dark City, Matrix? You know, what is it about that reoccurring theme of of the late '90s, early 2000s? Do you think it was just kind of anxiety about the coming millennium, or do you think it actually says more of a reflection about the target audience? Because the target audience in this would have been, you know, people in their late teens, early twenties, right? So yeah. a little bit more Gen Xer, maybe a little bit older with a movie like this, but, but yeah. yes, Gen Xers for sure. Yeah, um, I mean, is that part of the cynicism? I guess that they say Gen, X, Gen Xers have. 
yeah, I mean, perhaps just people that are, and I don't know if it has to do with anxiety about, you know, the coming, that's what we kind of touched on earlier, but something in like its target audience was definitely interested in stories that questioned the nature of reality. Like, I also think this was an era where, and we're randomly, we're talking about like comedies like American Pie and crap like yeah. that that were coming those were all contemporary to this that yeah, were all this that's era. a good point um, and so there was that very like light disposable type of cinema that that was the you know the need that was filling um, and that, that perhaps is targeted a bit younger than something like Dark City these movies are very much I don't know I, I feel like I guess what I'm getting at or where I'm going with that is I I'm not sure that nowadays we're seeing... We see a lot of sci-fi. We see a lot of superhero movies. We see a lot of this. I don't think we see thought-provoking stuff like this anymore. Everything is very, very... Um, and we could roll back to last week when we talked about Buckaroo Banzai and, and just, mm-hmm. like, how we couldn't... You know, you never see a movie like this now. But I also think that's true of things like Dark City. I even think it's true of The Matrix. Like, even The Matrix, which we just kind of, like, diminished a little bit is more thought-provoking than anything I've seen come out in how long? Ten years? <laughs> like, I, I would I, say I, I've when's seen... When's the last time you walked out of a movie theater like with a whole bunch of, like, you know, your mind's just wandering into the concept and you and it's just kind of unfolding in your head about, like, oh, you know, that's that's kind of creepy. I, you know, this this thing happened in my life, and I wonder, you know, it's... Uh, I, uh, I, I think... Trying to relate it to the, <laughs> the unreality of everything. The, it's, it's been few. I'll give you that. It, it's been rare. I mean, there are some... Oh, surely there's there, some, there are some yeah. horror films I've seen recently that really impressed me with what kind of, of social issues they were talking about. I would say the less I'm, I would say it's a science fiction film, uh, definitely that that had this kind of impact on me, like relatively recently, um, would be Inception. Yes, Inception. Had and I was that just a I was reading today that um, Christopher Nolan um, unashamedly like says that Dark City was a um, influence um, oh really especially when it came to the way that um inception worked as a film yeah and uh yeah i just I, I mean i even think like you can see it in the way that the the miniatures in dark city and the special effects the way the city during the tunings during uh, which transforms is the alien creatures yeah. uh, call when they change things inside of their program but yeah the way the city kind of unfolds and transforms and i mean certainly some of the imagery is is similar to what we w- would see in inception years later and yes i love that movie yeah i need to watch it again i've only seen it a couple times and it's been years but i'd like to see it again um but yeah that was a, that, that could potentially be it i'm sure if i really thought about it, i'd come up with something a little more recent than that but that was one of the last like sci-fi type movies that really well yeah really was thought provoking and, and well put and, together that way and i think either way you know the, the point stands that you know we're talking about stuff that's every couple of years there's a film here you know in the late 90s you have a series of films that all kind of touch yeah. on the same style and they have they're they're expressing the same concerns and the they're same all questions. generally noir films yeah. that are questioning the nature of reality which i think <laughs> like, is an interesting that's an interesting parallel as well about you know, there's been film noir as long as there's been film right damn near um, sure. Yeah. And I mean, in one way or another, if you think of it as a as a style of photography, yes, since the know, beginning. What is it about this kind? Is it is it like a nihilistic <laughs> perspective or something? Or um, you know, what what is it about the the noir? I mean, I, I'm looking at, at these two parallels. Like you you know, we've got these question reality films that also tend to be noir. Why that connection? I mean, any thoughts on that? put you on I don't the spot, know I don't you know, know. <laughs> I honestly like no I and I I find it interesting that the two even connected in the first place like how did film noir is generally known at least it is most popular form was the 1940s like detective genre where everything Maltese would take Falcon, place in an yeah. urban setting it would always be dark it would always be raining there would just um kind of a dark and grimy version of urban life I don't know why that connected with late 90s science fiction um, that that aesthetic. Well, I, I wonder if that's you know when you when you watch film noir settings, they're pretty depressing, you know. And I, I wonder if that's 
if that's part of it. You know, you've got this kind of depressing settings. Most noir films are, you know, it's, like you said, it's dark, it's rainy, it's gloomy. Everything's very sad. Everything's pretty, pretty depressed. And yep. maybe that leads to, is this all there is? Or is this all, you know, is, is there more than this? Is this all a facade? I, I kind of wonder if, if there's that, if that's where that connection comes in. Yeah, is there something brighter outside of, you know, this reality? Um, Which, you know, also, I, I think I, yeah. I, I'm drawing a connection here and like, we're going to follow this 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 thread as, as it happens. But I, they're generally, and maybe a little less in The Matrix, but generally these are detective films in a way. You have a character that um, is discovering either the, or questioning the nature of, in the case of John Murdoch in Dark City, he has no idea who he is right. at the start of the film. So he's learning everything for the first time. And it's through those eyes, through the blank slate, that he is able to really start questioning his world. Um, he is unsuccessfully injected with his memories, so he never even like really has them. Um, it, 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 through later conversations with uh, Jen- Jennifer Connelly's character, Emma, he... It is very much discussed, like, perhaps you're not even the same person that I remember because my memories are artificial, so perhaps he's not the same person at all. I mean, you, you once you learn out what's going on in the narrative of this film, everything that happens before the first frame of this film is suspect. Because did it ever really happen? We don't know. Because there's people building these people's lives, or there's outside influence building these people's lives and affecting their memories and... Um, essentially each of these people has been built and is altered on a daily basis um, right. to kind of fit the simulation. And so that's a neat thing that I wanted to kind of bring this into just because I'm obsessed with watching YouTube videos about it and it's just fascinating to me, but is uh, Dark City is simulation theory. It's There is a group of people purposely simulating the human race to, to learn about it. Mm-hmm. It's It's running a simulation every day it's altering the simulation to try and get different responses to try and learn what the nature of human beings is. So, hmm. I mean, <laughs> like how, how far back is... does this concept go in cinema? I mean, um, I'm, I know, I know, it, I know it predates this and Matrix and Thirteenth Floor and and so on. But because again, as we mentioned before, a lot of these, especially in science fiction, and, and to a, a great degree as well, horror. Um, but especially science fiction, they've always been great reflections on kind of uh, social concepts and paradoxes and stuff like that. You know, it's one of the... Look, look at 1984. A lot of people are looking at 1984 mm-hmm. nowadays. What, I still wonder, just what was it about that late 90s and you have this, this peak where these are the stories that people are really, really interested in. And again, I think yeah. the reason The Matrix won everybody over as much is because of the action sequences and also, you know, yeah, some they of the kind cast. of. I mean, it's almost it's almost more clever in a way because I think they did slip some philosophy into their action movie and got people thinking, which is cool. I yeah, mean, that's I great. That's a, I think it's great. Uh, yeah, you know? and uh, another one that pops off the top of my head, if you want to go back to the '80s, which is only one decade before, but the uh, Tara Gilliam's film Brazil. Oh yeah, has a lot of the same type of. Yeah, it felt um, like in the '80s it was more about how do you know you're not just dreaming. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Which, in a way, The Matrix, you know, that was more about, you know, you're being kept asleep and everything in your yeah, head is a simulation. Yeah, there's a slavery aspect to The Matrix that perhaps, although, I mean, I technically you're a cog in a machine. How is that yeah. not also slavery of some sort? Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, and, and I anyway. think, you know, I, it, I, I don't know if this would be considered getting off track or not, but, you know, really, I don't think you can talk about a film like Dark City and not get into something like this, because right. it's, kind of connect it's it to such its... an important theme. Um, in, well, and in I think it's films. important that we, we point out what a great example of this sort of film Dark City is. Yeah, yeah I think maybe it really it just is one is of the better ones. A, a group of people or a generation looking for purpose. Hmm. Is, it may, might just be that simple as just, I mean like you said earlier like is this all there is um can we can we envision a world where this this day-to-day that this mundane existence is is actually not real life there's there's something more and dark city has that that it has shell beach yeah you know it has that aspires to the beach and the boyhood memories and the the time in the sun and um even though all of that is a construct of what are they called the strangers yeah and um 
it still aspires to it. I feel like the Matrix doesn't have its shell beach. Reality in the Matrix is even more dire than... um, So it goes like the opposite direction, almost. Well, and, you know, I I also just thought for a second, oh, you know, there's, there's another really, really popular considered to be kind of a film classic at this point from the this same era that didn't go in the dark noir style and that was Truman's show that was yeah. pretty much kind of the same thing yeah. the whole thing about your life is a simulation everything is is staged and you're you're the focus of everything but notice how and, and i'm and that added the pop culture thing of and you're actually a tv show yeah so. which which was also explored at pretty much the same time as Truman's show with a the uh, the movie Ed TV with Matthew oh, McConaughey, right. which was more of a comedy, and he was aware. But that was maybe you know, it's it's just interesting to me that we've got this parallel of end of end of the '90s going into the 2000s. You have science fiction films that are kind of following this whole concept of you know your your life is staged, uh, and then even some of your comedies and dramas start going there too. You know, mm-hmm. um, again, around the same time, you had Pleasantville, which, you know, right. your life is a TV yeah. show. And it's so all all within the same five or six years. Um, you know, they're, again, they're not all the exact same film, but there's definitely some parallels there that, uh, you know, that, that I, I, shit, this is a master's thesis for somebody as far as I'm concerned. This needs to be studied. <laughs> yeah, I no, it, it seriously could be and probably i mean somebody's put this maybe it has you know the trend together i'm sure somebody's written about it for sure mm-hmm. um yeah i don't know i mean i guess something about the late 90s was had you know the the general film target audience for like a, an, a i don't remember this is pg-13 or r but like an adult themed science fiction film would have been like mid-20s to early 30s probably yeah. Um, target audience. So we're talking about, I mean, Generation X. Like, what What about them was. Uh, they're never. Not a generation I never I ever thought of as cerebral, but man, compared to what we're pushing out for millennials that are reaching that same age, maybe they were. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, and, you know, I, I, to, to just kind of focus on the movie for a moment, too, the, the, the effects in this are really, oh, yeah. really the, quite good. Um, the movie is fantastic looking and it accomplishes everything without ever hitting you okay and i'm gonna say this at the director's cut i don't remember the theatrical cut well enough to to pick i know from reading about it that they removed basically the same story as blade runner they removed all of the like narration that kind of like over explained the plot to you um and just let the movie kind of gradually unfold um from what I read, and maybe you remember the theatrical cut of this movie better than I do, but there was opening narration that explained everything that was going on right in the first few seconds of the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And didn't let, like, the film is so much better when you learn about what's going on as John Murdoch learns about it. Yes. Like, I like when a narrative unfolds like that. Like, you get you get clues and you get hints and it just kind of, like, gradually builds. It's just such, so much more of an experience because you're figuring things out along with the character and um, the revelations are all real um, revelations to you as the viewer as well. To picture this film, and I'll have to go, go and see the theatrical again, but to picture this film, you know, being explained yeah. <laughs> just post-credits, like... I mean, it had to have heard it. Now, it couldn't have heard it too bad because I still liked the movie. Yeah, the exposition in the director's it, but... cut is really quite good. Um, yep. And even in the, you know, even with that kind of spoon feeding at the beginning in the, the, the theatrical version, if I remember correctly, yeah, it's still, there still do enough reveals to where, where it does, you know, maintain itself. Um, yeah, and it's funny, we were just talking about, oh, what other movies are there where people have to question reality? And then you just you casually mention Blade Runner. I'm like, oh shit, like the ultimate science yeah, yeah. fiction movie <laughs> about questioning reality is fucking Blade Runner, and I right. completely forgot about yeah. it. Um, yeah, Blade, th- there's a lot of parallels to that as well, I think. Um, yeah, You know, sure. again, the, the question of how would you know if, you know, at least at least with androids, they've, they've got a test to, to do, you know? Um, mm-hmm. can't really do that with, with, with stuff like you'd see in Dark City, you know, it's, um, yeah. but I think it's just I mean, a lot you're... about conformity and, you know, with the, how everybody just kind of goes along with it and doesn't question yeah. anything. They just kind of move along and do their thing. It's, uh, 
a little alarming, but... Um, right, and they never really touch on what they do if there's anybody that has a little bit of more rebellious nature or moves, you know, doesn't go along with the plan. Um, well, I mean, I guess you... Uh, what's the cop's name? The Oh, oh, William uh, Hurt's not, character? Not William Hurt, but oh. his, his former partner or friend that's gone... He's started to discover what's going on. And Oh, um, um, Eddie uh, Walensky? Uh, Walensky, yep, yeah. Walensky, yeah, Walensky, yeah, Colin uh, Friel's character, yeah. Yeah, so he he kind of plays that role of the the person who's noticing the inconsistencies or is noticing that there's a you know something's going on here, and uh, yeah, I mean he's dealt with by by the strangers. So well, and it's also I mean so, thinking back to you know um, other other kind of films like this. I think they they pop up every now and then. I, I mean, the more I'm thinking about it, I guess this is somewhat of a of a of a trope in in science fiction you know we're, we're about questioning reality and about things you know people being you know controlling you and you stay in line kind of a thing um mm-hmm. you know there's i'm sure there's a million films also that i'm, I'm just blanking on right now but the it, it, that was an interesting aspect though on how how they they handle you know this individual he had kind of a renfield aspect to him you know, like I've seen too much, and I know all these things. Oh, I was, you know, going to say things like, uh, you know, like they live. And of course, is a similar kind of concept. In fact, th- there's a lot of similarities between they live and this. Um, you know, yeah. you've got aliens yeah. that are controlling everybody, and nobody really knows it. Everybody's asleep, so to speak. Um, and and one of them, made in the late '90s, kind of portrays this kind of 1920s, 1930s era with film noir and the other one of course the great carpenter film they live you know it's kind of showing you the the whitewashed over everything's fine look of the 80s when just under that surface there's a lot of problems um so two similar story with two two directors very very different take on them yes i yeah i definitely see similarities there too so i mean i think we're 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 drawing the lines and so at least all through contemporary cinema history we we definitely have yeah you know um not an obsession per se but like a, an interest in this type of a story where you know that we're being controlled by a force outside of our understanding and there's an element or you can you know characters are being are waking up to that or um you know becoming aware of and then kind of like fighting the system um I, I do want to get back to because we're mm-hmm. <laughs> it's great we're already um, starting to get close to out of time. Right. Um, we I did want to get back to the fact that the the look of this movie we started on it mm-hmm. and then we got back into the <laughs> yeah down the down the rabbit hole again. It's a really fantastic looking film. Not just the film noir aspects of it, but a lot of the cityscape is done with miniature work. So yes, yes. I think we mentioned the tunings, which is when they're changing things in in, in the city, and uh, the miniatures are fantastic. It kind of looks like you know Tim Burton's Gotham City from the original Batman film. There's a lot of uh, obviously that's that's a very film noir as well. Yeah. But uh, the thing that reminded me the most of the Burton Batman films is that it has this kind of ambiguous time period like is it modern day but no everything looks kind of 1940s but they also have some technology that doesn't fit that and um so like it, it's very ambiguous as to what time period is taking place in which i love about the 90s batman stuff yeah. <laughs> you know uh all the way through the, the the two tim burton films and the batman the animated series did the same thing and, and to me batman should always take place in that <laughs> in that world well, that, kind of ambiguous uh, time period yeah, but I, I, um yeah, so Dark City's got that, and the the production design is just so fantastic. Um, I don't know if uh, there's an introduction on if you if you looked at the have the director's cut disc, but uh, there's an introduction on it that Roger Ebert and Alex Proyas do, which Roger Ebert was a big time fan of this film and a champion for it from like the first time he saw it. He just loved, loved this film and actually came back to the director's cut to do the introduction for it. Oh, wow. He loved it that much. Um, uh, just kind of, he was pointing out that this just the amount of love put into the movie and the attention to detail in the um, set design and the production design and just these like incredibly huge sets with um, you know filled with you know casts of extras and um, the police station was what he pointed out but that is just this uh, 
just massive space that was perfectly lit and decorated and he just just that kind of an undertaking and they and the thing that he said that just just convinces him so much that the people making this film had so much love for this this film and what they were creating is because they used that police station set for like a total of two lines and one wide shot and that was it <laughs> oh <laughs> like, wow whoa um, i mean you never end up what what is uh you know on the cutting room floor you don't know but like to put that attention to detail and that kind of world building just to create something you use for a couple of seconds to make it believable is uh, incredible and i think there's good examples of the that throughout this film also the the kind of control room or whatever it is where the giant clock the, the mm-hmm. face clock is is um i don't know the set design's all very cool it 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 kind of reminds me of what terry gilliam did in his film 12 monkeys but if you would have gotten to see more of that world like it's kind of similar to that the under ways, the underground but, uh, world yeah in 12 yeah, monkeys yeah yeah i mean i kind of picked up a lot of different things you know like and i think again it's for the ones that came out in the like 12 monkeys stuff that came out in the mid to late 90s um you know there's a lot of similarities i think because that was just a style at the time for again whatever mm-hmm. reason um but yeah the the cinematography in this every shot is is really quite beautifully done which is is a risky thing to do in a film that is this dark not just because the title mm-hmm. implies it but because it's a very brooding film yet it's not it, it's not off-putting you know it's um it, it actually welcomes the viewers to really look into this kind of dingy place and you want to see more of it you know you want to keep yeah. seeing it and it's it's rare to see that you know usually when a film is this dark it's it's panned for that and it doesn't work because it's just it's too lurid but in this case it actually it it works with it really really well um it's kind of hard to explain but it's it's something where again if if people are listening and they're science fiction fans and they haven't seen this and they're looking for just something that's a good simple sci-fi story well i don't say simple it's not simple there's a lot going on but i if you, give it, sci-fi if you give it its yeah. time of day, if you really watch this movie, I don't feel like you'll leave it being confused. No, um, no, no. Um, it, I it, think it does require a couple of viewings to really catch everything. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It, it's complex enough of a story that yes, I think I think that's true. Well, it's but, very heady too. Um, it's real heady. <laughs> yeah, and if you don't, if you you know, if you have it on the background type of thing, you're you're probably gonna miss a little bit or you might get lost. And um, but the the concept is very. The concept's not too hard to wrap your head around as long as you're willing to, yeah, sit down and actually watch the movie. So. Yeah, yeah, and and I, um, I do. I did want to one. touch on before we got, before we're done with this, is like the ending of the film. Mm-hmm. It's curious, just like off the top of your head, like what, what do you take away from where John Murdoch ends up at the end of this movie? Like, what is the takeaway for you? Uh, we, I we've, don't we've know. kind of talked about the situation, but like, where where do what do you think it's saying at the end where they leave this character? Um, that's the one thing about it that I've always struggled with a bit. Not like out yeah. of a you know displeasure or anything like that, but just um, it's it's one of those intentionally ambiguous things. Yeah, uh, which which are always amusing and equally frustrating <laughs> to me. Um, yeah, I, it, it's hard I've never to say. been wholly I've, comfortable I've, with the end yeah, of this movie, uh, to tell yeah, you Yeah, I've truth. never been real comfortable right. with it either. It's it just something for his... I'm, and, and I'm it, on board with the whole story, and the end's just kind of like... Certainly that's intentional, Yeah, I would think, from a story and scream from a standpoint of you know the writers, which Alex Proyas, I think, wrote the first draft and then brought David Goyer in, which he's... David Goyer's just had everything good in this mm-hmm. era, but like um, David S. Goyer, by the way, he always credits himself as. But um, but I feel like I don't know. I've always been a little uncomfortable with it because he does. He, he spends his this whole film kind of fighting back against the the godlike creatures that are controlling everybody. Yeah. But then he, when he gets to the point of defeating them and kind of perfects his ability to tune the world. Um, which I don't think we mentioned that he had that ability, yeah. but anyway, see the movie. So, um, <laughs> but once he perfects his ability to kind of tune the city or the world or what it is, he just kind of creates his fantasy version of the world. 
everybody in the world is still affected by it. They're still, you know, living in this fabricated universe. I suppose it's left nice and ambiguous because you don't know. Maybe he is, you know, the next thing he does is goes and liberates everybody, but you never see that moment out of that character. Well, it's kind of so, like the end of the Matrix, you know, that it's the same kind of thing, but they kind of tie it up with some dialogue. Um, yeah, in the Matrix, he's def- definitely set forward as more of a savior. In this, he's, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I buy he is a savior. He's he's fixed the world the way he sees it now. And so does that make him any better than... The, which which the whole time they're questioning, like he's questioning whether any of these memories are real at all. Well, so maybe I, he's the first person that's ever created, you know. You know we, maybe there never was a shell beach or, a, you know, an ocean at all. Um, it's... Well, considering yeah, that they're all up in, again, see the movie, spoilers, right? But they're all up in space. Yeah. You know, um, essentially it's a big ship, if I understood it correctly. Um, yeah, I mean, that's what it looks like to me, yeah, from the way they designed it. So, in a way, he's kind of accepted that nothing is as it seems. Um, I always mm-hmm. kind of took it, and I, I guess not always, but I guess a good comparison, I would say, is uh, we mentioned this before, but the end of Inception. Yeah. Where if anybody who hasn't seen Inception or who has seen it, we know at the top at the end, well, was did it fall? It doesn't matter. Yeah. He's accepted what he's accepted, not necessarily reality or the truth. I talked to a lot of people about Inception that cannot stand the way that movie ended. I loved it. I, I liked. It I loved it, and, and for the same reason that this one always made me uncomfortable, but. I mean, I always kind of, I took it as it's ambiguous, but at the same time... I certainly don't hate the ending of Dark City. I just gives John Murdoch the moral high ground for most of the movie. And at the end, I think it leaves you questioning whether he's really any different than the strangers were. I guess one could also make the uh, argument, just to kind of plant this in the brain, that is he still, is he still dreaming? Is all did any of <laughs> yeah, that actually? Right. You know, is this all part I of? I mean, it? yeah, you could have ended by doing a pullout on that whole thing and being like, you know, having the strangers still controlling that. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, you know, and and, um, and just you know, t- testing his potential. Right. So. You know, he's he's still, you know, like you said, he's doing the same thing they're doing, but he's at peace with it now. You know, yeah. this this there's a, a movie yeah, I mean, that came he, out a few years. The thing is, is I think he thinks he's doing the right thing. The character thinks like, oh, we're gonna, I'm going to make this much, so much better of a world for everybody. But at the same time, when you inflict your will upon other people that way, I mean, how different can you possibly be from the original? Yeah, you know, oppressors. So. Well, and and I anyway, also wonder <laughs> if, um, you know, a couple years after this came out, or maybe more than a couple, but the film uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, which is another one I'd love to review on here. Uh, also mm-hmm. borrows some some themes about this again of that you know do you really trust your own memories do you you know or what what's there and what's been changed and what has been removed um, and yeah. the endings of the, the ending of this film and the ending of that also have some some parallels there where it's about starting over and you just have to ignore what you don't know or what you think you might know and it's uh, again these pretty heady films. But um, yeah, all of them, all of them great for especially if you're going to get together with somebody and have a couple of beers. You know, it definitely is yeah, is, is good fodder for those kind of discussions. So, oh yeah, definitely some great discussions will be born of either of those films. But definitely, Dark City is one that I again I, we keep, we keep picking all these movies we like. I guess that's what we're going to do. So, you know, yeah. deal with it. <laughs> but um, yeah, we just it's. It's just a great example of this era, like some of the great sci-fi that came out of this era, and um, it, in my opinion, probably the best of these realities, a construct movies that came out in the late 90s. Yeah, I would like to go back and revisit Existence, and especially 13th Floor, because I remember Mm. really liking that too. Um, But yeah, this one, this is one of those that I was surprised more people, and this doesn't seem to have a huge fandom behind it either. I mean, if, if people that have seen it and and got it, they liked it. They're like, yeah, that's a really good one. But then it just kind of gets brushed to the side. But then again, it didn't have you know two sequels and an animated film and comic books and all yeah. that too. And yeah, I don't. So, what I love, yeah, I think, I, I think we're lucky that it wasn't quite. It was, it was not a certainly not a flop. It was a popular enough film, but um, it actually nominated for and won quite a few awards. Yes, um, yes. 
but it was not the runaway excess that the Matrix was the next year, and I think that kind of dwarfed its um, its visibility long term. Like I don't think as many people remember Dark City. Obviously, people remember the Matrix. It's just it was a major event. Yeah, it really type was. Movie. Yeah, um, Dark City was a little more subdued. It, it's it's every bit as good of a film. It's every bit as great looking of a film. It deals with some of similar concepts. So if you're into the Matrix, this is definitely something you should check out if you haven't seen it. Um, yes, I I do highly recommend it. Again, as I've said a couple times already, I really recommend this one for fans of science fiction that are looking for something beyond franchises. You know, like you said, yep. a lot of the science fiction we're seeing in the last few years has been, you know, superhero films, which is fine. Those can be fun. They're a lot of fun. I go see them all the time. But this is for for everybody that's really longing for, you know, something that would be, you know, a, almost a something that would have could have been written by Isaac Isimov or Philip yeah. K Dick or something like that. This is this is a real treat. Um it's got a fantastic cast as well everyone and it's very good. Uh standout performances by Kiefer Sutherland, Richard O'Brien. Um it's got Jennifer Connelly who is probably the first woman I remember having a crush on as a child, probably due to the movie Labyrinth, but anyway. Um, so that stuck with me my whole life. And, um, yeah, anyway. <laughs> but a, no, I, and, so, and, yeah, and, and everybody a, gives really great performances, and you know, last week when we talked about Buckaroo Banzai, you know, we talked about how everybody from that film kind of went on to do great things. Not as much here. I mean, this is Kiefer Sutherland, but he was he's in stuff pretty regularly. Um, you know, yeah, these and he went on to have roles. a very successful career. Jennifer Connelly's and stuff here, here and there, but here and there, you know, yeah. other people, it's kind of like not nearly enough. You know, yeah, it, it's there's just kind of a, I don't want to say it's a small film because clearly, you know, it it does have oh, a very no, a very broad scope to it, but it just didn't have the the box office power. I think it was a little. I think this might have been a film that people didn't know how to peg at the time because. It was. It's very obviously very dark and noir. Noir films they're hit or miss with people, and also the 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 strangers in it, the aliens in it, are it, it borders on horror in the way that they look, but it never really gets there. And mm -hmm. so it it can be for some audiences. I think this might be a tough sell. You know, not yeah. not to diminish the film, but I think for some film going audiences, this is just something that if if you want to sit in a in a in a theater and just have something entertain you. I don't know if this is going to be for you. If you want to see a movie that's right. going to entertain you but make you think and and kind of, you know, a little tingling of the brain, this is definitely one of them. So, Agreed. Depends what you want. So if you had to give it a letter grade, what would you uh, I'm actually going to go with a B plus, and the only reason I'm knocking it down from an A on it is is because um, it I think as good as the story is, it's one of those films that it looks better. You know, it's not really uh, an exact pair for, it looks good and it's equally good story the story gets it's a little convoluted it's a little hard to follow at times like i said i think this is a two uh a two viewing film i think you need to watch it two times pretty close together to really catch the stuff same kind of issue you see in, in a lot of visual films is sometimes you're spending so much time really trying to realize what you just saw it's hard to also keep up with what's being said and, and yeah so this one it's 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 not a action-packed film which i'm not knocking points off for but it has a pretty slow pace to it which is somewhat uncommon for some modern sci-fi films so i think it, it has some it has some pacing things pacing issues but not enough to really detract from it significantly so i'm going to stick with like a b plus what about you i think i'd go with a b on this one it's not it's never going to make my all-time favorite films list but i sure like it a lot so um and yeah, it's mostly style things. It's a really great-looking film. Its concept is fantastic. It does have a bit, I would say, a little bit of a plotting pacing issue at a couple of parts. It starts, it starts so frenetically and great, but then when you you hit like thirty-five minutes in, and you're like, okay, well, I'm feeling the the length of this a little bit. Yeah. Um. It also has, I think, kind of a third act issue where it it is very slow, very detective movie. And then all of a sudden turns into an action movie for about five minutes, and it doesn't ever feel like it fits in the film. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I, I could have done without like the psychic knife fight. Yeah. <laughs> at the end, like it, it's another another form of the same climax would have worked better for me. So 
Um, that's what she said. But the um, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. So just <laughs> so this needs uh, to be addressed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> yeah. Couldn't help it. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna go with a, a B on it, which it's still a film I like. I like a lot, and it will remain in my collection. So yeah, I'm just not gonna make any top ten lists. I, I think I need to watch it more often than I do. I've had it on Blu-ray for a couple of years now because I found it once again, like five dollar bin or something like that, and it has both theatrical and director's cut. And rewatching it oh, again, yeah, I, I realized I really do need to. I think I really need to, to watch this a few more times. I need to watch it more frequently because I think it's a movie that would really grow on me. I mean, it, it's interesting that, you know, this this film's same director as The Crow, which yep. has a huge cult following behind it. And, and maybe I'm making, this is film film viewing blasphemy, but I recently tried re-watching The Crow and I had a, I couldn't get through it. It just, it, oh, yeah. it, was, it was very hard to sit through. It was just very the acting and the dialogue was a bit much a little hard to hard to take and it just i don't know it, it didn't maybe sorry maybe the uber fans have killed it for me i don't know but um, yeah i'll have to watch it again i haven't seen it since i was a teenager yeah. so but but re-watching uh, this I one i still did enjoy right then, but... i still did enjoy this i saw this as a teenager i saw this in my 20s and i saw it again recently and, and it, i still enjoy so... it so, so very importantly to this whole episode, and somehow we passed over like the most important thing about Dark City or about this, this second part of the episode is we selected these two films last week's Buckaroo Banzai and this week's Dark City based on audience reactions yes, to a yes. Facebook group post that we put up. And I would just like to thank, and we should have done this at the top of the show. I apologize, but thank Emily Nahard for recommending dark city yes to us thank you. A, a film that we had we had both seen before and both had a lot of admiration for but um i'm not sure it would have made the show had you not mentioned it so um thank you for mentioning that and uh getting this back in front of my eyes because i really enjoyed watching it again and seeing the director's cut which i definitely prefer and so. i hope that's how we pronounce your name <laughs> oh yeah apologies if i ever pronounce anyone's name wrong so um if i if i did please correct me yeah let me know yeah no worries so uh, we've got a couple, uh, some other cool stuff coming up soon. Um, we are going to be, oh gosh, we've got such a long list here. We're going to be reviewing some dinosaur movies here pretty soon because I can't resist. Uh, we're going to be reviewing some Exorcist <laughs> yes. films, but since there's a whole bunch of them, we'll be uh, keeping you guessing on which ones we are going to be watching. Plus, we have our Halloween special coming up. We are still planning on doing that Phantasm series. Um, yes, it will come soon. I hope. <laughs> I'm starting to fear that that's becoming our Jimmy Kimmel, you know, apologies to Matt Damon, we'll get you on here later kind of a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, we, we do have plans to do it. There is you know, Equipment has been purchased, damn it. We're doing it. Um, yeah, we're doing it. It's it's the fifth Phantasm movie is what it is. It's going to be 25 years after we start talking about it. So And have mixed reviews. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but that's yeah. all of our shows, right? So, right. So, uh, um, but yeah, yeah this is... Um, kind of been moving along pretty well and we're, we're pretty happy with it we still would love to have feedback from anybody who's willing to share any with us uh, whether it be on facebook twitter uh or email uh please get a hold of us let you know what, the, what you think and always if you if you feel like chiming in on the discussion on any of these please feel free if there's anything we left yes. out or if there's something you disagree with please you know throw that out there i'd love to, yeah, to get a discussion especially about a topic your... like this i'd love to get a discussion going about it because it's yeah, pretty heavy even want to shoot us your own review of the film i'd love to read a couple of those on there so um, yeah look forward to hearing from you that uh facebook twitter the email is video podcast at gmail.com and i would like to thank you all for listening and um and participating this is the end of our two-part audience uh picks but we are definitely going to do this again so uh, absolutely if, if we didn't get to yours this time we will um yeah we're going to do another one of these shows uh, hopefully sooner rather than later so right so yeah, well, this has been uh, been a lot of fun. I really enjoy doing these these uh, kind of listener recommendations and stuff. And hopefully, um, you know, people will keep throwing in those recommendations. We'd love to hear more from you. Yes, please. Thanks for listening. And this has been another episode of the Video Junkyard Podcast. Thanks again. You have been listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. You just can't let them go. Go. 
stay on the road. Keep clear of the moors. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the Video Junkyard Podcast and remind you to find us on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash video junkyard podcast on Twitter at video junk pod and on Instagram as video junkyard podcast. All one word. Want to thank you again for listening and keep digging. Who knows what treasures you'll find in the video junkyard. <laughs>